When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Maggie Lake and with me today is Dave Floyd of Aspen Trading Group. We're going to talk about where Dave sees opportunity in this market. But first, let's get a quick snapshot of the action this Monday. U.S. stocks mixed. The Nasdaq pushed higher, led by a rally in technology. The S&P 500 also up, but the Dow lagging. Now, Dave, I I know that you've been closely watching the action in the S&P um, what do you make of this rebound that started last week? How are you feeling as we begin this new week? Well, yeah, thanks for having me, Maggie. Um, trying to you know trying to leave opinions aside based on everything that's happening, meaning you know higher inflation, weaker bond prices. You know, you would say that this is kind of odd price action, but I'm trying to look beyond that. The market's obviously moving higher. Uh, the only thing that I would say that I'm looking at from an objective perspective. Um, is are, are some of the levels that we're at right now 43 i'm sorry 44.71 44.73 if, if my chart happens to be up as you can see that's been a pretty key level going back all the way in october and all the way back into september mark the high overnight almost the high we got almost to there we sold off coming into the new york open and guess where we're closing just slightly above that level so what it basically tells me is there's somebody out there in large, in a large uh, capacity, wanting to buy stocks and vis-a-vis uh, doing it via the S&P 500 futures. So there might be a lot of clouds, so to speak, in terms of inflation, and whatnot. But the price action says otherwise for equities. Yeah, and it's interesting because so and, and for perspective, I know some of our viewers are very familiar with your strategy, but you kind of try to take the emotion, take some of the headlines out of it, and really focus on those fundamentals. Are there specific techniques you use? Are you really about you know support and resistance? What what are you? What are the technicals that you're really relying on to try to give you some clarity in this market? Well, I am trying to make it as objective as possible. You know, for years, it's, I mean, for anybody, actually, it's so easy to have an opinion and kind of let that filter into one's analysis. And, you know, sometimes that can be good, um, but I think it takes a little bit of experience to kind of know when to turn that on and when to turn that off. So what I've tried to gravitate over the last few years is to become just more objective, uh, you know, basing my uh, analysis on price levels that are mathematically derived, not just by me drawing you know, little horizontal lines on charts that are that would be arbitrary. Uh, I'm trying to look for you know price, volume, time, things, um, measures where activity actually took place because I believe that's what the overall market looks at. You're basically leaving footprints, and I'd like to take my cues from those footprints. So I've tried to evolve into much more of an objective levels-based trader. So a day like today where we've got that that. Uh, 4471 level really, you know, presenting itself yet again, that leaves a lot of clues. I mean, maybe we fail again here, but the the tape feels kind of firm. And, you know, if we close above it, you know, probably means we're going higher. Does it matter to you what's leading the market? I mean, do you break it down into subsets? Because it's interesting that we saw technology rebound. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are scratching their heads because we'd seen 
people get so negative on big cap tech, feel that that had played out. Does it matter to you sort of what's going on underneath? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll look at these same levels across a variety of instruments or even market measurements. I'll look at these same levels drawn on an advanced decline ratio, drawn on the VIX to try to get a sense of what's actually happening under the hood as you're as you're kind of alluding to, because that that then gives you a sense of, you know, OK, we're testing a pretty key level, let's say, in 10 year notes or in the euro or in this case, the S&P 500. Does the underlying story or the underlying technicals on the supporting characters, so to speak, does it support that? And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the market won't go higher. It just means that, you know, maybe it's not the the, the super foundation you would like to have to have a really high conviction trade. Yeah. So yeah, you have to look at all those other things. Yeah, the marketing we cans, I think is what they, they like to say, right? Which can be frustrating. Do, does it feel like based on what you're watching and what you're seeing that we have to, the potential to take out record levels here? I mean, does it feel like that? It's funny. It, it's starting to. If you'd asked me this a week or so ago or a week and a half ago, I would have said, you know what? All these rallies keep failing. Again, that's you know that you're taking the temperature each day, each hour. And a week and a half ago, I would have said, yeah, these rallies keep failing. We can't seem to break to new highs. Now, boom, last week, everything changed. We had horrible inflation data, but market didn't care. Bond market kept selling off. We get yields above 1.6 on the 10-year and here we are, you know, 100 points higher in the S&P. So again, I'm not trying to outsmart the market. That's impossible. So it is starting to feel as though they want to take them higher. And I yeah. guess, like I said, if we can, if we can stay above 44.71, 44.74, there's no sense in overthinking it. That's where the market wants to go. Which is amazing, and certainly is not what where we what we were looking at the picture we were looking at just a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned technology sort of leading the way. Um, that's got to make uh, Kathy Wood happy and, uh, and and her funds. We know how she feels about some of those you know big big cap names and the mega trends she, she watches. And you are keeping a close eye on the Arc ETF. What are you seeing there? Well, I mean. Recent price action is quite encouraging. You know, up on the screen right now, I have a four-hour chart, and I can actually—it's a two-hour chart. I can switch that to a daily in just a, a moment, just to give some perspective. You know, the only thing that's happening right now with the Arc Innovation Fund is it has a lot of back-and-forth price action. So, from a swing trading perspective, you know, there's definitely some movement to be had, and we closed above some pretty key levels last week, above 115, which we'd been testing and retesting throughout the summer. Um, you know. I, the chart really doesn't make me a raging bull or a raging bear. It's kind of a sideways chop fest, but there are swing trades in there. Um, you know, on a daily chart, though, you know, the fact of the matter is we're well off the highs. And, you know, some of the the, the facts surrounding inflows into ARC, you know, a lot of it came at the beginning of 2021. And we're much lower than we were now. So there's a lot of, quote unquote, new money in there at much worse levels. Um, so... You know, for me, I'm looking for anything, anything below 106.37, which we held like a rock uh, back in early, looks like early October, now late September. Anything below there, you know, the the quote unquote diamond hands, I think, are going to start being severely tested because everybody's a long term player until they reach their uncle point, and then they suddenly become a puker. Yeah. And I'm not saying that will happen in Arc, but. It hasn't done a whole lot, and you know, the trajectory right now seems to be lower highs. And that's usually not a good thing you want to see. 
Now, is, is, is there a correlation between the performance of that ETF? Would you feed anything into the performance that you'd be looking for in the broader market when it comes to technology? Maybe. You know, it's, it's a great question. I haven't really done any, you know, hardcore correlation studies between this and the NASDAQ and or the S&P 500. Um, I look at it kind of more casually. You know, if ARC is down pretty big on the day, I'm really reluctant to be, you know, buying rallies and whatnot, because that, that means the overall tape and technology is pretty weak. Um, but I would say that the fact that this can't seem to get out of its own way, despite the indices being at new highs, is interesting. But that's kind of the whole the whole nature of our market right now. You know, everybody keeps looking for this correction that has been so elusive. But if you look at the underlying components of the S&P 500, a lot of them have had a major correction. Yeah. So it goes back to just a very top-heavy market in terms of a few names continually driving prices higher. So it really gets hard to say, well, hey, this sector is getting beaten up, so therefore it's going to drag the S&Ps down. Well, sometimes it does, but sometimes it just doesn't. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quirky market, to say the least. Yeah, it is. And it's why it, it's so hard for, for people who are trying to make decisions and why it's so helpful to have a perspective when you're looking at the technicals versus somebody who maybe is following the tape. I mean, we're in the middle of earnings right now. And, and, and I think Tesla out after the close tomorrow, some of the big names in that ARC fund will be reporting. Um, so it's interesting to have a couple of different things to, to frameworks to use as you're trying to figure out what to do. Just a quick question, Dave. I'm wondering, you know, when you said um, it, it may sort of put pressure on some of the holders of that if it continues to test those levels, does the time of year have anything to do with it? I know you have quite, you operate in quite a short term time frame when you're looking at some of the moves you try to capture, but we're heading into year end and, you know, even the most convicted uh, holders or investors want that year-end performance to look good to the people they have to answer to. Does that put additional pressure on? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, at the end of the year, most portfolio managers, they want to be neck and neck with their competition down the street because that's called job security. I don't necessarily agree with it from a best product perspective, because if you're just trying to keep up with the, uh, the guy or gal who's in your sector of fund management, that's not really in a very objective or creative or let's say um, above average way to run a portfolio. But if you're sitting on a bunch of dogs and that's gonna um, come up in your first quarter meeting and it shows up as you own them going into the fourth quarter, guess what? You don't want them there. You can kind of wash your hands and say, well, I got rid of those. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, cover your, you know, the CYA type of move. Yeah. So, that definitely could. I think that's a great question, actually. I mean, some of these laggards, if they're in the if they're in the portfolio, they could get tossed out because then, quote unquote, you know, you did the right thing. You got rid of those at the end of the quarter and you can keep your job. Yeah. And, and you want to be aware of that, and not get sideswiped by that. Uh, you know, even if you are in it for a longer, longer, uh, you know, time period, time frame. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I want to get your thought on something, Dave. We're talking about how hard it is to take all this in, into consideration and, and to try to capture that. Um, Jack Farley sat down with Rick uh, Benson, your uh, to talk exactly about trading strategies 
have a listen to what he had to say about timing the market, and we'll pick up on the other side of that. Sure. It occurred to me that having traded in the pit for 12 years before I went corporate, it occurred to me that the most money is made in the markets at the turning points if you're properly positioned. So let me give you an example. If the stock goes from 60 bucks up to 100, pulls back to 80, goes up to, let's say, 96, and pulls back down under 80, you're going to say double top. It broke the middle of the, let's say, M pattern. And you're, you're going to sell and say there's weakness, more weakness coming. When you do that, that's fine, except you've already missed, in theory, 20%. By the time you, you decide that that is a top, a stock peaked at 100 and you're selling it beneath 80. You might make money because it goes down or, or sell out and buy back cheaper, but you've missed a heck of a lot of opportunity. Think about that on the same thing on the downside. A stock goes from 50 down to 20, up to 45, down to 22, goes back up again. By the time you decided that's a good double bottom and things are fundamentally improving, you're way off the lows. So you're essentially only going to catch the fat part of the bell curve and you miss the tails. If you play the fat part of the bell curve, it's very hard to outperform over time because you're in that first standard deviation of trading opportunity. And for every time you kind of buy low and sell high in that, you're also going to buy high and potentially sell low. That stuff washes itself out, so you get the average return. The only way you can get above average return is essentially differentiate yourself from other people on the street, is to consistently get long near the lows and get out near the highs. And again, that interview will air tomorrow and is available to all tiers on Real Vision. Uh, so, Dave, how do you sort of grapple with the issue of timing, especially when you're trying not to lose out on some of these moves? Well, I think the I think that little nugget that we just listened to is is incredibly insightful and spot on. But at the same time, at least from my perspective, and I think most professional traders would agree it's challenging to do. It's really challenging to kind of, you know, stick your neck out on the line and say, okay, this is the level that I'm going to get in front of, because those are usually the most uncomfortable trades. I mean, let's face it. It's a lot easier to let prices hit a particular level, move lower, let's say, because you're expecting them to move lower. And then you get confirmation. You're like, okay, I was right. Now it's safe for me to go in. Now, that's not always a bad thing. I trade like that very often. It's very rare that I'll just kind of jump in front of the train up or down. But he was absolutely correct. You want the meat of the move? You, you know, you you got you to gotta play the game and you got to play the game at that level. And uh, that can be hard. That can be really hard to do because you're basically saying, I recognize this as a level and I'm damn well committed that the rest of the market is going to see it the same way. And yeah. That's that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty high conviction type trade to take. It is. It is. It's aspirational. Um, but, uh, you know, as you say, extremely difficult. It's a it, good old buy low, sell high. We all want to do that, right? But uh, yeah. a, lot, a lot harder to gauge that. You know, we have a question coming in while we're on strategy. Wanted to get this one in there from Jonathan uh, on the exchange. Which combination of indicators do you use to set up a winning trade? Well, you know, it's a whole host of things. 
you know, on some level, um, it, it can vary from trade to trade. But by and large, the main thing I'm looking for is a level that the market is going to react to. That's that's the number one thing that I like to look at. I think that, you know, looking at oscillators can be helpful to kind of keep you out of getting into longs when the market's overbought and getting into shorts when the market's oversold. But I use stochastics, which is the oscillator that I use. Um, I use them sparingly and with discretion. But, you know, by and large, to answer the viewer's question, I'm not looking at a lot of indicators. And there's nothing wrong with using indicators. Christ, I came up through the ranks using them. It's a great way to get involved and uh, help you to kind of guide yourself through the trades. But for me, it's really boiling down to now all about levels. But then using, you know, my years of experience and drawing on some other things that are maybe a little, little less you know, objective at times and just drawing on some market experience. But for me, it all begins and ends with the levels because I'm finding those to be the most effective. Fantastic. And Jonathan, um, I hope that answers your question, but but great one to ask, uh, to, you know, to bring it back to the strategies as we talk about some of these issues. Uh, I, 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 I want to touch on treasuries yeah. Uh, and, and maybe around this inflation. So I'll do the fundamental side and, and pick up uh, on the levels and we'll see if we can match this up because we've seen a lot happening um, with bond yields and currencies as everyone is so focused on the inflation story. We've got you know WTI anchored right above $82 still. Mm -hmm. That's just holding firm. And that's really fueling this idea that we're going to see interest rate rises from central banks around the world. There's, I, I should say, fueling the idea and the debate because not everybody thinks that. People still think that that's overplayed. But for those who do believe it, we're seeing market action around that. How are you seeing that reflected in the technicals around the tenure, the U.S. Treasury tenure? Well, you know, the chart I've got up here, I knew we were going to be going on to this particular topic next. So I, I loaded the chart of the 10-year note, uh, the yield on the 10-year note, not the actual 10-year right. note itself. And, you know, we closed today at 1.58%. Um, I think anybody you know, with uh, even, you know, minimal powers of observation can see that we've been trending higher since the end of the summer. And if that's what transitory, quote unquote, inflation looks like, um, I, I have a difference of opinion on what the word transitory means, because the bond market sees it quite differently. Now, that being said, you know, ultimately, maybe maybe this is a transitory thing. Maybe it's all related to supply chain issues. And maybe once uh, either supply chains get, you know, rebuilt, so to speak, or maybe demand peters out, you know, maybe we do get prices to come back down. But right now, the bond market clearly thinks that, you know, inflation is a problem. And I think most consumers, if you want to look at an objective measure as opposed to some, you know, uh, nuanced measure that the, uh, the, the government likes to dream up, um, you know, there is inflation out there. For me, technically, 1.66, which is this purple horizontal line on my chart right here, mm -hmm. that's really the, the line in the sand for me. I mean, I think if we get above 1.66, I think we could, you know, rates could easily go, go towards 2%. And the fact of the matter is the equity market's not priced for 2% on the 10-year note. And I think that could, could, and I emphasize could, um, that could create problems for equities, but I'm taking it one step at a time. For me, 1.66 is kind of the line in the sand. Uh, but for right now, the, the trend in treasuries is clear. It's down, which means yields are moving higher. Mm. How How is this you know, rate talk 
influencing currencies because you you would think you would start to see a lot of action around that. Certainly you have when it comes to things like the Kiwi, the New Zealand dollar, although yeah. some wondering if that's been priced in. What else are you looking at? What crosses in the fiat world are you looking at where this may be playing out and present some opportunity? Well, you know, FX has been pretty dull of late. I mean, compared to, let's say, what's happening at equities and in bonds, uh, or the fixed income market. Um, but you know, last night we had the, the the New Zealand dollar, you know, squiggle higher because of the higher inflation numbers coming out right there. We get the Bank of England coming out very soon, and I think that could ultimately be um, an inflation issue over there. You know, for me, you know, the easiest way to kind of track what's happening by and large in G10 is just to simply look at the dollar index. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, for me, the dollar index, generally speaking. Pretty bullish. We've had a phase since the end of September where we've moved sideways. But the thing that you'll note once this chart loads is that we're kind of in within this very narrow range of uh, about 93.83 up to 94.37. So um, until that level is severely broken on the downside, the dollar index to me is going higher, which is basically tracking what rates are doing. Now, if rates continue to move higher. Um, you know, the yen's going to continue to get weaker. I think that's probably the easiest correlation play out there. Higher U.S. rates equals a weaker yen, which means a higher dollar yen and a higher Canadian dollar yen, higher euro yen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's probably the cleanest interest rate play in the currency markets is to simply look at uh, uh, the Japanese yen. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the the currency market, fiat currency market has been a little dull lately, but but Crypto has not. Bitcoin has not. Again, some of the biggest moving uh, markets that we've seen, uh, you know, making another run at that record level. Uh, A lot of questions coming in about that as well. Why don't you just set set up for me, if we look at Bitcoin, what you're looking at from a technical perspective, and then we'll go through some of the questions that are coming through, Dave. Well, in all fairness, I don't trade crypto. Um, I do keep an eye on it because it is obviously a part of the ecosystem and it does have an impact on the markets I trade. And I mainly trade S&P futures, 10-year notes, and a handful of currencies. Um, But the fact of the matter is crypto is part of the ecosystem now. And I do have clients that want to know about it. So I I profile it. Mm -hmm. And again, I use the same mathematical levels that I use on any other thing that I trade. And this is the type of stuff that I post for them. And 60,000. I mean, again, it just happens to be a round number. I, I didn't make it that number. That's what the math is telling me. 60,000 is the big level. I mean, we're holding there. We broke above. We've held. Ethereum had a big breakout above a resistance level last week, too, which was kind of not a surprise just given how strong Bitcoin was. It seemed like it was only a matter of time before Ethereum played catch up. So, again, technically speaking, only seems like crypto, you know, unless we break back below 60,000, we're probably going to. You know, squiggle higher at the the next big level on my chart, as you can see here, is up towards sixty eight thousand seven hundred, yeah. um, and they could the price could get there very easily. Uh, that that to me is the next magnet price that I think we have that we're likely to see in crypto, uh, absent a break below sixty thousand. Yeah, and this has been moving. I mean, I, I think this month alone, it's something like up 43 percent or something like that. So it's Crazy. it's been really yeah. rapid that rebound again. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. 
Um, any thoughts on on talk of the ETF coming out? Do you have any perspective on that? Is that something that would interest you? Um, you mean in terms of trading it, or yeah, in terms of trading it? Yeah, we've got we've got a couple of uh, Andrew, Brian, um, Bo, a lot of people asking about this online. Your thoughts about it? Well, I mean. I think I think at the most basic level, it makes it easier for most people to get into. If you're certainly if you're managing your 401k or your IRA, it's probably a whole lot easier to have your, um, you know, to buy an ETF version of Bitcoin than it is to go out and buy the Bitcoin itself. Although I'm not familiar with all the retirement rules of whether or not you can put this in an IRA or not, you may very well be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it obviously legitimizes the industry, although the only thing I would say is that whenever you get to these turning points in quote-unquote hot markets, like Bitcoin tanked when El Salvador, I think it was El Salvador, yeah. took it on as their initial, as their as their quote-unquote official currency. So oftentimes these hallmarks or these milestones tend to be kind of inflection points and usually not for the good, so to speak, but that might just be temporary in nature. So I I know there's the ETF coming out. I I think it's this week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And if it does reflect the, or it does track the price of Bitcoin or whatever it's designed to do, that's that's great for retail investors. You know, the more options they have and the more transparency they have, the better. Mm. Do you, do you, we have a question from Bo related to that. Um, about whether crypto say subprime crisis. Everybody thought they knew what they were holding. Everything was supposed to be fine until the curtain went up. People feel very strongly about this topic. But that aside, do you look through your strategy at uh, any kind of uh, you know um, systemic risk that would carry over from something like the crypto market? How interrelated are markets right now? Or are they kind of operating on their own fundamentals? Well, it's interesting. I read a great article last night about something quite similar. And, you know, cryptos has not been around long enough where you can draw these long correlations like, you know, systemic risk should equal X, Y, and Z in crypto. It's a logical conclusion to draw, but there's no historical evidence that that's the case yet. Doesn't mean there isn't, but it's just we don't have it. Um, but to answer the latter part of your question, you're, you know, are markets moving, or, or each is each asset class moving under its own, you know, uh, you know, uh, set of rules? I think that can be the case on some level, as we talked about early on. You know, a lot of a lot of individual markets and a lot of individual equities have already had corrections, yet the indices keep marching higher. So. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of movement underneath, and if you're and if you're just looking at the indices day in and day out, it does mask what might be happening in other sectors, unless you're kind of actively looking for it. So I'm not sure that answers the question, but that was. Oh, my I think it does. I mean, we. I think that you know. I think the point that there's there's not there's no his, history to draw on from that. But exactly I, the right. fact that someone's asking the question, I think, speaks to what we all worry about that that you're going to be blindsided by something, right? It's going to come out and, you know, you put all the work in to try to get your portfolio where you want it. And then you're going to be hit by something, you know, out of left field that's going to ca- ca- carry some counterparty risk that you haven't seen coming. So I think it's sensible to ask that question. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think your answer made a lot of sense. We just don't have the history to, to, to know what, what that effect is. Uh, Dave, we, a lot of times when we're talking about how to position, given that, you know, the sense of fear, how can I defense? A lot of people are talking about how to hedge against inflation. What's What opportunity do you see? What do you feel bullish about or that you're looking at for a breakout that you think could have some real potential here based on your time frame? 
Yeah, well, my time frame, you know, it can vary, but you know, by and large, my I'm a swing trader, so my my trades last for a few, you know, several hours to a few days, maybe a week or two. Right, which um, is important to point out because that might be shorter than what some other people are looking at. So thank you for clarifying that. But yeah, yeah. so in that against that time frame, what looks attractive? Right now, I'm waiting. I think the next big opportunity is probably going to be in the rates market or ten-year notes. It's just it's too big of a of a developing story to not have some ramification. At least that's how I see it. And again, I'm trying to leave my opinion. I'm trying to leave my ability to collectively think what the market's going to do because that is such a monumental task to do. Mm. Um, but given the nature that of interest rates, meaning that that's the price of money, that is the most important market, which I think is is probably not something that most people would argue. I mean, that is a very important market. A lot of really smart people in there. I think that's where the next big play is going to be. Now, does it mean that rates continue to skyrocket higher, or is there a long opportunity here because the market's gotten too far ahead of itself on this inflation, and they fun suddenly realize that it is transitory, and suddenly rates are back at one and a quarter? Well, that's a monster, monster rally in ten-year notes. I don't know which way they're going to break, but I have levels that I'm looking at. I noted one earlier, one point six six. We get above there, you know. You, it's really hard to be bullish bonds at that point or, or ten-year notes because it indicates to me that there's a lot there's a lot more room for rates to go higher. I think the key thing you, you mentioned counterparty risk and just risk in general. Here's the number one takeaway: it doesn't really matter what you're trading or what you're interested in if you're sized properly, whether it be from an investment allocation or a trading allocation. If you're sized properly, that's how you're going to minimize any damage to your account. Because guess what? You're always going to get blindsided by something. It's impossible to know what's going to happen next because price action, by and large, is random. That's been proven. It's our job as traders to look for repeatable patterns, which do exist. But the only way to ultimately really kind of insulate yourself is you've really got to size yourself properly. So if you're lopsided in any one position and it takes a hit, you know that's on you because that was avoidable. And I think the, the the number one rule is you've got to minimize your drawdowns because mathematically they're so difficult to draw yourself back from, and more importantly, they're emotionally difficult to draw yourself back from. And that's the key thing. You, you're so beaten up if you take a twenty percent drawdown in your portfolio that even if you do have some good trades, you're likely sized a lot smaller because you're nursing some wounds. And you can't do that. You got to be sized the, the the right way in the good and the bad times. That's great advice and, and great to have that discipline. That's what we have to remember. That's why it's important not to let the emotions get in the way, right, Dave? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Dave Floyd from Aspen Trading Group. Thank you so much for being with us and thanks for all the good advice. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Have a great afternoon, Maggie. Bye-bye now. All right, great. Come back again soon. And thanks to all of you for watching. The conversation is going to continue over on the exchange. But in the meantime, take good care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.